Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. If it's your first time here with us this morning, whether it's online or here, we just want to welcome you so much. We're just, we're a small family church here in the area of Fenton. Uh, I'm excited about things beginning to open so we can do more outside in the community. We've had so many different things that we weren't able to do this year, community events that we usually participate in that were canceled, and so we weren't able to do that. But how many are excited to do some of those things again and to find new ways we can reach out? How many know it's not just about inside these four walls? If we're not taking this message of love, grace, of goodness, of, of, of God, how much he loves you know, individual people outside the walls, then we're missing the point. What are we doing, right? So every Sunday is a way to encourage you and who you are, how good God is, so then you can take that outside these four walls and encourage others in the same thing. So I'm excited about this. But Philippians chapter 4, I want to talk to you this morning as, about this idea of being content. Say content. You know, the Apostle Paul talks about being content in all things, in all things. And I'm like, okay, Paul, uh, I get it. That was first century, but how can we do this in the 21st century, right? And so I believe as we begin to understand the original language and what was being said, it opens up this whole new way of seeing things to us. How many love seeing, new, seeing things in new ways? It just opens you up and you go, wow. And there's something about the ancient language, right, that was used in the scriptures. There's something about even the, the history and, you know, who the Bible or who these, this actually wasn't a Bible. It was compiled later. It was actually letters, poems, history, different things. It was compiled together. But it's all from the vantage point of people from thousands of years ago, where they were growing. And, and the beautiful thing about the Bible is you see this progression to where it ends up coming to Jesus and he changes everything. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Joshua couldn't say the same thing. Moses couldn't say the same thing. King David couldn't say the same thing, right? And so it's through that lens of Jesus that we begin to see who the Father truly is. But this letter to the Philippians, on Paul's second journey bringing the gospel to the Gentile world, he actually helped start a church in the city of Philippi. I can't help say that and think of baked goods, Philippi, every single time. My dad used to make a joke about that. Philippi, sounds good, I like pie. But he started the church in Philippi. And do you know that it was a colony of retired Roman soldiers? So think about that. These are men who, who followed a certain way called the Roman Empire. An empire that was in direct opposition to Jesus and the kingdom of God, right? And so Jesus came through in this life when he was on earth and he would say things like, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, the kingdom of God is within you. That word repent sometimes in the English language, if you've grown up in church and, you know, it was somewhat legalistic, repent was what you do every Sunday and you grovel at an altar and hopefully God would forgive you if you really, really meant it. But the word repent, metanoia in the Greek, literally means to change your mind. So Jesus was literally saying, listen up, it's time to change your mind. The kingdom of God is at hand. In fact, it's in you. Let it out. And so he would defy empire. He would defy religious systems and it ended up getting him put on a cross. <laughs> Can I get an amen? And he allowed that to happen. He wanted to show us what love looked like. 
But he started this church in Philippi, this colony of retired Roman soldiers. And what's really cool is they became friends and supporters of his ministry for the rest of his life. Now, again, these are men who followed the way of Caesar, but now switched, changed up the game, right? A thought process, repentance had transpired, and now they were saying, Jesus is Lord. See, at this time, there was a lot of Roman propaganda, things like there's no other name under heaven by which you can be saved than that of Caesar. But we see how the apostles took that and said things like there's no other name under heaven by which you can be saved than that of Jesus. There's a new king in town. And so there's a lot of history there in what's being said. And so these, these followers of Jesus, even Roman soldiers who used to follow the way of Caesar, now following the way of Jesus, were saying there's a new way to live. And so when they heard that he was a prisoner in Rome, you know what they did? They collected money for him. They thought, let's collect some money. Let's send it his way. And so they end up sending it with one of their own from Philippi. His name was Epaphroditus. Don't name your son that name, please. That's a tough one. We'll call him Epa for short, but Epaphroditus. But later, Paul sends back a letter with him to Philippi or the Philippians. And this is the letter that we have to this day. And he says some things here. Like in chapter 4, he's telling the, the church that I love you, I, I care for you, I want the very best for you. And Nathan says things like this, stop quarreling, work things out. Not much different than 21st century, right? Wow, Paul, you didn't write this to us, but you certainly wrote this for us because humankind has this way of quarreling. You know, just, just getting into adversity and us against them and, and this polarized idea. And this was happening in the church. So he encouraged them, guys, listen, stop quarreling. Make things work. Work them out. Why? Because God is so good. The gospel is just wonderful. The grace of God is amazing. So celebrate God. Revel in it. Have a party. Enjoy it. And then last week we talked about this idea where Paul says to not fret. Be anxious for nothing right? But in everything, everything that happens to you by prayer and petition, make your request known to God. And then say, and then the peace of God will rule your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. He's saying, guys, don't fret. Don't worry. Talk to God about your issues and your needs. Fill your mind with his goodness. And this brings us to verse 10, Philippians 4:10. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now, he's writing them back because Epaphroditus had just brought him this gift, right? Verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned, I want you to hear this, I have learned in whatever situation I am, the next three words, read them with me, to be content. Say it again, to be content. Now, this is a man who's in prison. He's incarcerated. There's a price on his head. He's been beat. He's been tortured. He says, I've learned in every situation to be content. Look at this, verse 12. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret. Oh, that's pretty cool, right? The secret of what? Of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then really famous scripture that we put on Nike t-shirts and stuff because that's what Paul meant. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Isn't it funny how we just take a verse? And that's cool. That's encouraging. But, but listen, Paul is incarcerated. 
I mean, he, he has, like I said, a price on his head. I mean, he's facing certain death because of the cause of Christ. And he says, listen, I can do all these things because of Christ within me. A little different than, than winning a race, right, in the Olympics. Not putting it down, but I'm just saying we've got to look at context here. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. See how thankful he is? But something that really sticks out to me, look at this in verse 12 again. He says, I have learned, say learned, to be content. This really encourages me because it means maybe he wasn't always content. He's on a journey. You know, sometimes we can look at other brothers and sisters in Christ and say, wow, look what they're doing for Jesus. Wow, look, look how mature they are, but we're all on a journey, right? So don't get down on yourself, go, wow, okay, well, I mean, the Apostle Paul, this is encouraging me. He had to learn how to be content in every situation. So guess what? If, if you're sitting here today and you say, you know what, I just don't feel content in some areas. Oh, you're on a journey. You're learning. You get to learn how to be content in every single situation. But see, this word content is very interesting if you look at the original language, the Greek here. And I love this translation out of the Mirror Bible. Verse 11 says, I have discovered my I amness. Say, I amness. Don't think it's an actual English word. But we can say it like this I'm discovering who I am. I'm discovering whose I am. Come on, that's the journey we're on, right? But look at this. Now this. I want you to get your thinking caps on. I want you to put down the religious ideas you've had because this is going to rock your world a little bit. Look at this. And found that I am fully self-sufficient whatever the circumstance. Now, in some religious settings, we've been told that God is everything and we are nothing. True? And I understand what they're saying. I mean, is God the source of all life? I mean, Paul is making this great proclamation on Mars Hill to all these Greek followers of different gods saying, this is the true God, the one with no name, right, that was, that was carved out. He's trying to give them an idea, a sense of, of that. And then he starts quoting Greek poets. But then he says this, in him we live, move, and have our being. Who? The source of life, God, the divine, the true God, Right? And so we're, we can say this, we're a chip off the old block, right? Doesn't the creation story, doesn't it tell us that we're made in his image and likeness? So why as a pastor would I tell you how unworthy you are? I wouldn't do that to my own children. Now I understand there's, there's households, people grow up and they're told their whole life by their parents who should never do this, that they'll never amount to anything. They'll never do anything. But that's not Heavenly Father. That's not God. That's not a good parent, the heavenly father, heavenly mother, however you want to look at it. All those attributes we found out just a few weeks ago are in the Bible. God is spirit. He's not feminine or masculine, right? But he has the qualities of both. He nurtures, he disciplines, he helps us grow. But he always, always, always loves us. I usually say this, that you know, discipline is not punishment for your past, that's how I used to, I guess, correct my children until I grew out of it and realized, oh, wait, proper discipline is training for the future. So if my, if, if my goal is to always keep their heart 
and, and, and have teachable moments where I'm training them who they truly are. That's proper discipline. It's not about, I'm going to pay you back because you embarrass me. I've had those moments. I've done those things. But it's in those moments I realize, wow, that's how God disciplines us. But listen, you don't have to take my opinion for this. Let's look at the original word here. This word, he says, to be content in the original Greek is the word atarkes, and it means self-complacent, or we could say self-approving. This is huge. It goes on, the definition, the feeling you have when you are completely satisfied with yourself. Now, I know this can go against the grain of religion at times, but listen, this is the original meaning of the word, and I don't think it's a bad thing. Think about this. If you know who you are and you're satisfied in who you are and God, who God's called you to be, you'll make different decisions in life, won't you? We just will. We'll, we'll treat others with dignity and respect. We'll respond differently to people. When we speak the truth, as we say, we'll actually speak it in love because that's the source of our life. And so I completely agree that, listen, we need God in our life. We need to reconnect. We need to awaken to our righteousness, the apostles say. I love this word awaken because it's awakening to all these facets in your life, these things that God has already put in your heart, awakening to those. So yes, God is most certainly our source, but we can't just look at ourselves like, like I don't know, some filthy worm who doesn't measure up to anything. How do we even do kingdom business in that, in that point of thinking, that way of thinking? This goes so much further than the idea that I'm content because I have material things, doesn't it? This is speaking more to being content with who you are, who God has made you to be. Being content with yourself. This is a powerful revelation to me. How about you? But many of us, we get a little scared when we speak like this because we see ourselves as nothing and God as everything. Listen, I never want my children. I've had moments where my children have come to me and maybe someone in the neighborhood has treated them a certain way or said certain things to them in such a way that it has just brought their level of, of any worth or self-worth down. I don't want to see that in my child. What do I do? I build them up saying, no, 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 you're a Baransic. You're talented. You have gifts. You have callings. And then I start to name out, look how good you are with others. Look how you're always looking out for someone else and showing love in this situation. Look how you're always tinkering and figuring stuff out. See, God is like this with us. We're trying to, to, to um, instill some sense of value and worth. I believe that's why Jesus came, to show us that we are valuable. We are worth something. Is this making sense? And so, what if God wants you to see yourself as complete in him because that's how he sees you? What if? I heard a preacher say it like this. Uh, you know, sometimes we, we almost picture, and it's kind of, I mean, maybe it's odd to you, but he, he used the idea of a garden hose. And he says, you know, a lot of times we just think that God flows through us like water does in a garden hose. My wife, who's not here today, she's still in Louisiana. The boys and I just flew back yesterday. She's hanging out with our daughter, our son in love, and she's having a good time down there. But hi, babe, probably watching me online. She can't help but watch me. I'll talk to you later, girl. But he had this idea, you know, she, she grows plants and, 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 you know, vegetables and different things. She's, in fact, she texted me this morning. She goes, man, it's been really cold. And she planted everything before he left. She goes, are the plants okay? So I took a bunch of pictures so she could see her other babies. Her plant babies are okay. And everything's going well. But, you know, she has in the front and in the back, she has these garden hoses. Anyone have any garden hoses around your house? And it's really cool. I mean, it's like this, 
this thing that you can use to uh, divert and put water anywhere you want far away. If you just turn the spigot on and hope it gets there, it probably isn't going to, right? But this is the beauty of a garden hose. You can just take that thing. You can even put little attachments on the end, shower, you know, jet stream, however you want. I wouldn't suggest you jet stream your vegetables, but, you know, you can shower them however it is. But see, this garden hose, it has a purpose. But sometimes we believe that that's who we are in the kingdom of God. So we just lay there when God's ready to flow through us, he will. But then when he's done with us, we just get rolled back up on the, on the you know, corner of the house or the edge of the, of the house. And I think it's so much deeper than that. Now, we don't even really think much of a garden hose. Of course, if it springs a leak, we do because we get rid of it. We need a new one. It's not good enough. And so a lot of times, I just like that analogy that we think we're just laying there like a garden hose. We have, we have nothing to do in life but let God flow through us, and that's all we are. But I think it goes so much deeper than that. How about you? There's so much potential in things that God has called us to. It's so much bigger than this. Let me say it like this. You're not a tool for God to use. I know we've heard things like this, and I know what people are saying, but have you ever just thought, that sounds kind of, hmm, I don't think I'm going to use that, that verbiage. I'm not going to use that type of thing. Listen, you're not a tool. When somebody calls me a tool, I'm not like, thank you so much. I appreciate that, Jimmy. When someone has used me, I use it and go, thank you so much for using me. Now I get, it's semantics, right? But I think semantics really matter. How about this? You're a valuable vessel that, that can uh, collaborate with and work within this, this plan God has for the gospel. Can you see the difference? I mean, you have this ability to proclaim God's goodness, his love, his grace, his mercy, to all those around you, but I don't think it's God using you. He's utilizing who you are in him, working through you. You see the difference? And so I think it's important that we see the value of one another because sometimes we can even look down our nose. I mean, I have times in my life where, man, I've really got some issues, but man, they got way more than me. And then I feel okay again. But if I'm basing my okayness on someone else's unokayness, I'm just making up words up here, then, then is that really the right way? Because then we begin to devalue others. And there's a real big issue in the kingdom of God. We, we talked about this on Mother's Day that for thousands of years, I mean, the, the boot of the male has been on the, the neck of the female because we somehow thought that men were better than women. And we take scriptures and we just, just rip them out of context to, to make them fit. And then, you're, you know, thousands of years later, a woman can't say anything. We can't learn from them. They're, they don't have gifts and callings from God. Come on. That's crazy to me. Anyway, that was a few weeks ago. Okay. But I think it's important we see this. But can you see the difference? So here's the question as we're Learning the definition here of what content really means, it's not just I have material possessions and I'm good and, and everything is good on the external. It goes deeper than that. It's you awakening to who you truly are. Your I amness, who God has made you to be. You're in, built in his image and likeness. So in the light of that, here's a question. Have you ever felt dissatisfied? Yeah, you ever felt discontent? Yeah, me too. It's something that we all deal with. But let me say this today, and this is really a key point I want you to get, is that the state of a dissatisfied individual, it comes from the internal, not the external. This is an internal thing that we're dealing with. And I say that because a lot of times we'll try to fill our life with the external, 
thinking somehow it will fulfill. But you ever notice this, that when you get the new shiny thing, within an hour, a week, a month, you want the next shiny thing. You notice that they haven't stopped making new models of cell phones? Huh, I wonder why. It's because they know that you want the new shiny thing because we're trying to fill a void on the internal with things from the external. Now listen, if you've gone for church for any amount of time, you're like, yeah, yeah, we get it, I've heard this. But, but think about that. It's all about our internal life. So let's talk about this idea of, of contentment here. Paul says to us, for I have learned in whatever situation that I am to be content. Again, I love this. He's learning. He's, this is a learned practice in life. This is a learned practice in following Jesus to be content. In other words, I am learning and growing and maturing in the revelation of who I am. And as that happens, he becomes self-sufficient. In the Greek, that's what it means. It doesn't mean I don't need God anymore. It's saying I'm awakening to the I am-ness, who I truly am in Christ, and saying, okay, in this situation, I'm good. This is a man who's incarcerated, who's been beaten and tortured and chased. He's saying, I'm good. Now, you know, sometimes for us, I mean, the worst thing that happens to us is like, I went to my favorite restaurant and I ordered my favorite thing on the menu and it was gone. We call it first world problems, right? I mean, sometimes when I compare myself to what the early Christians, I mean, it, okay, I complain about what wasn't on the menu, but early Christians were on the menu, right? Colosseums, fed the lions, big difference. I'm not dismissing that we have issues, sure. I love that burger too. I love that salad too. But sometimes we got to look at perspective here. And that's where the internal comes into play because it's not so much about the material, it's about the internal. So I just told you a few minutes ago, we went down to Louisiana. Sounds like a song. Went down Louisiana. But went down to Louisiana. And I love it because my family's there. I don't really like 85 degree weather that's hot and humid. But the beauty about being on vacation is you can lay around the pool, right? It makes it a little better. But I love being with family, and we just hung out, had a great time, great food. We would visit, you know, lay around the pool for a little bit. But we also took a swamp tour. Now, when you think swamp tour, what's going on? Well, it was actually down a river called the Old Pearl, the Old Pearl River. And it was awesome, you guys. We had, first of all, let me say this, we had the best captain ever, Captain Luca. He was awesome. I got a bunch of video of it. I'm hoping to post that on my YouTube channel here soon. But this dude, I, I almost call him Pastor Luca as well because I don't know where he is with Jesus and the relationship. But man, the things he said were so inspiring as he's given us history of Louisiana and, and just kind of you know, how the people grew up and even how he grew up. He came from nothing, nothing at all. But he was by far the, the best, right? And when we were going out, one of the ladies that works there, she said, he's the best, you'll love him. And she was right. He, had, he did such a good job, but he was talking about his upbringing and just, you know, his appreciation really for life, even though he had nothing growing up. Well, at one point we were going through, I mean, we saw some cool stuff. I mean, you, we were seeing bullfrogs and, and alligators, and he was actually feeding the alligators right off the side. We got some cool footage of that. Uh, uh, wild pigs 
were coming up and he was telling the history of how people would feed them. And when Katrina came in, how it just changed the whole like uh, ecosystem. And it was just really cool. We had a blast with this. But at one point we're going by these houses and he started pointing out these little shacks. And I mean, they were, there was nothing really to, you know, write home about. It was like, wow. I mean, just old, you know, falling down, but down this river and it was absolutely beautiful. But at one point he was talking about the poor people that lived in this area, giving us some history But at one point he says this, he goes, now, I want everyone to just be quiet for a moment. And for the first time, 20 people on this boat were quiet. And it was amazing. All you heard was bullfrogs calling, birds calling, crocodiles eating. No, I'm just kidding. You heard the wind blowing through like the reeds and the trees and the leaves. And it was in that moment. You ever just had those moments where you're like, just peace. It was beautiful. I was so thankful. I'm like, thank you, God, just for moments like this. But he was quiet for maybe 15, 20 seconds, and we were just taking it all in. It was just really capturing, I believe, our heart, you know, just affecting all of our senses. But then he broke the silence by saying this, that's why people live out here. It's not about money. They don't need things. They have this. And I was like, right? It's in those moments where you're like, whoa, why why am I participating in a rat race? (laughs) I mean, it just makes you really think things through and then really embrace those moments like this where you receive peace. And that's really been my journey in the last several years is realizing it's not about stuff or the external right? It's about the internal, my relationship with the divine, that connection that I have, that relationship that I have, really relationships, the basis of all life. I have so much more fulfillment just spending time with my family and my friends, hearing them, like shutting everything down so I can hear someone. Because, you know, sometimes people can talk, but you're not hearing them. It's in those moments where you realize life is about the internal. It's embracing these moments on the, uh, you know, of the eternal. And then I look at what the apostle James says. He wrote this letter to the church, James 4, verse 1. He says, where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? We're seeing this theme here about living by kingdom or living by this world system, right? He says, do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and you fight for it. Listen, it's deep inside yourselves. See, sometimes we make the main thing, right? Let me should say this. We make the wrong thing the main thing. And we lose this sense of that I am-ness that Paul's talking about. Finding that fulfillment on the internal. He says you lust for what you don't have and are willing to kill to get it. See, when I read this, it just, it further solidifies this idea that it's not just about the stuff. I mean, come on, I'm just as guilty as anyone else of trying to get the stuff, trying to obtain the stuff in life. But it's not, it's it's because there's something missing here on the internal, something that I haven't awakened to, this this idea that I need more to fulfill me instead of realizing my I, I am-ness, who I really am in Christ. He says, you want what isn't yours and will risk violence to get your hands on it. He's talking to believers. (laughs) Verse two, 
He says, you wouldn't think of just asking God for it, would you? And why not? Because you know you'd be asking for what you have no right to. Look at this. <laughs> These are strong words. This is the Apostle James, not Pastor Andy. You're spoiled children, each wanting your own way. Listen, I'll be the first one to say that I've acted like this plenty of times in my life, like a spoiled child. I want, I want, I want. But I believe that it happens because there's an issue with the internal. It's not what I don't, it's not the things that I don't have materially on the external. See, many times we attempt to win the internal struggle by changing our external circumstances. If I can just get to that position in the company, all will be well. I'll be fulfilled. If I could just obtain that car, that house, that status, that amount of money, that much of a pension, all these things, nothing wrong with those things, right? What I usually say that it's, it's not wrong to have things, just don't let the things have you. Big difference. But it's in those moments I realize, wow, there's something going on internal that I'm missing here. And I get to have those, those, real, those real life powwows and chats with Holy Spirit and say, what am I missing? I love that the scripture compares God to and says he's love, but also that he's light. See, light exposes things. If you go into a dark room, you turn on a light. Oh, I can see now. That's the beauty of relationship. When you reconnect and say, okay, I'm connected. I'm awakening to this relationship. And sometimes that light of God is going to shine on some things that you go, I didn't see that before. But what's beautiful about this is God is never showing those things to shame you. He's showing you those things to heal you and bring restoration, to replace lies that you believe about yourselves, others, and him with the truth of who you are and how he sees others and who he truly is. And so does it hurt sometimes? Yep. Sometimes I don't like to see those issues in my soul, but man, when I've been open to it and I say, okay, I receive your healing, I receive your truth about this situation, Holy Spirit. Man, it makes me such a better person. It brings me to this place where I'm getting closer and closer to being the best version of who God has made me to be. It's awesome. In fact, what did the Apostle Paul say? I probably quote this scripture, Romans 12, 2, almost every single week. Do not be conformed to this world or that system, that way of thinking, but be what? Transformed. Literally, the word in the Greek is transfigured. Like when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, when they saw him completely change, it's the word like metamorphosis. You're, you're becoming, think about a caterpillar becoming that beautiful butterfly. What transforms us? Where do we have these transfiguration experiences? By renewing our mind. It's mind overhaul. It's mind renovation. And what's really cool is I love to study and, and, and follow different people. And I love scientific stuff and history. But they're, they're like, there's so many things coming out about the human mind, how powerful, how strong it is, what it can do that you can actually, if you think on negative things, it literally will, will cause, it almost looks like, I don't know how they get the pictures of it, but it looks like these little sections of your brain that almost, they almost blacken and they kind of spider out. But they found that people through positive thoughts and changing their thinking can literally change that over to healthy areas of their brain. That's why they say that people, 
And no offense, don't know how you're brought up, but people who have been brought up with the idea that, that the deity they serve or the God they serve is angry and out for blood, they actually say that it damages your brain. This is science. I'm like, wow, I'm so glad that I've got this revelation of God's love. And people go, oh, he just doesn't care. Oh, yeah, he, he cares. Listen, if my child's doing something, this is me as a human father that is hurting them. I want to do everything I can to change their mind about what they're doing in life so they can make better decisions that don't hurt them. But in no, you know, uh, uh, what's form or fashion am I trying to kick them out of the family or tell them they're not a Baransic anymore? That never even crosses my mind. I want to awaken them to the truth of what it looks like to live out the Baransic life. Does that make sense? And so it's all about changing our mind. It's renewing our mind. See, when you experience true contentment in your life, when you get to this place where you begin to understand who you are and whose you are, you, be, you, you get this place where you're just completely satisfied in life, no matter what's going on with the external. And then what happens is you'll stop focusing on yourself only, meeting your needs only, and then you turn your focus outward to others. Now listen, none of us are perfect in this. But the deeper I get into the love of God, his grace, his goodness, who I truly am, I actually see myself making different decisions, treating people differently, seeing God differently, seeing life differently. There's such fulfillment and all the money in the world can't bring that to us, right? And so again, I think of that story. He, uh, Captain Lucas said something at one point. He goes, it's not about money. He goes, they don't have the bills you have. They've never acquired the bills you have. They enjoy this family, nature, their area, their, their upbringing. I'm not saying we should all move down to Louisiana and get a shack on Old Pearl River, but maybe we need to rethink what's important in our lives, amen? Those are just great teachable moments. So here's the question, how can we live a life of contentment? Satisfied with who God has made us to be. I wanna look again at what the Apostle Paul says as answers to this, and just look at three quick answers to this in his letter to the Philippians. Number one, get over the distractions of what happened or what's happening. See, too many times this external world is more real to us than the internal world. And so we allow distractions in our life. We can't get over how that person treated us, what they've done to us. And I'm not trying to belittle those things. Listen, if you lost your job, if you know, you're dealing with the betrayal of a spouse, if you have a friend who's done you wrong, we're not trying to sweep that under the rug. Those are emotions. Those are issues that we need to deal with completely. I understand that. But sometimes we get so distracted by the external that we don't even concentrate on the internal. But look what he says here in Philippians 1.12. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, what has happened to him? Incarceration, beatings, torture, a price on his head. Can you imagine the level of stress as he's going city to city? You know, one time he actually had found out that the authorities were so close to pursuing him and capturing him that his friends let him down in a basket outside on the city wall. Come on. I mean, that's stressful. What a life. And all he's doing is trying to tell people to follow Jesus, this way of Jesus, which transformed Saul to Paul. Instead of violence, now he was bringing peace and love and grace. I mean, it's, it's, it's beautiful. 
But he says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, look at this, has really served to advance the gospel. But what? What a positive attitude, right? No matter what I've gone, guys, everything I've gone through, it's really, this is so cool, guys, it's advanced the gospel. Again, what happened to Paul? Incarceration, imprisonment, the threat of death. And he says, this has actually helped to advance the gospel. That's powerful. Number two, discover new opportunities. Discover new opportunities. See, we've heard this before. And if you go and listen to any self-help guru, you know, many people see problems, right? The external is a problem, but there's only a few that see it as an opportunity. And in this moment, and in these moments, Paul sees and discovers new opportunities. Look at what he says here in verse 13. He says, as a result, it has become clear to all of the soldiers who guard the emperor and to everyone else that I am in prison because of Christ. Like he's excited about this. It's not just, oh, there's another prisoner. He's saying, everyone is realizing that I'm in prison because of the cause of Christ. Verse 14, so through my being in prison, listen to this, the Lord has given most of our brothers and sisters confidence to speak God's word more boldly and fearlessly than ever. (laughs) I mean, Paul, how can you say this with what you're going through? Because he's looking for and discovering new opportunities. He doesn't see a problem. He sees an opportunity. And so he sees those opportunities. And he's so excited that these brothers and sisters are like, you know what? I feel bolder now, Paul, because of what you've gone through. Number three, our last point, focus on what really matters. Now, again, most of us aren't being pursued day and night. We're not in prison for, you know, the cause of Christ. Anyone here? Not me. Now, we do have brothers and sisters around the world who are dealing with this. But all this can apply to us. Focus on what really matters. Look what he says in Philippians 1, starting with verse 15. He says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. (laughs) But look at this. He says, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. (sighs) Paul just keeps setting the bar higher, doesn't he? Because there's plenty of times and I'm like, well, that person, they're in it for this and they're in it for that. And he is literally focusing on what really matters, that Christ is preached. See, this is good for me to hear because Honestly, there are some preachers, I know they love Jesus, I know God loves them, I love them too, but I just don't really like the way that they preach. I don't like the self-ambition, I don't like the picture that they paint, it's a distorted face, I believe, at least from you know, my humble interpretation of scripture of who God really is, but it shows me in these moments I can go, okay, you know what Jesus, I'm going to cast that care on you, I'm going to let you deal with this because at the very least, they're preaching Christ. That's a pretty mature move, isn't it? He says, and because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. Look at this, just jump down to verse 20. He says, on the contrary, everything happening to me in this jail only serves to make Christ more accurately known, regardless of whether I live or die. They didn't shut me up, they gave me a pulpit. 
Alive, I'm Christ's messenger. Dead, I'm his bounty. Life versus even more life. Look at this, I can't lose. I, I, I want that same attitude in my life. And I'm not going through an eighth of what the Apostle Paul was going through. Right? I post something online. Everyone's a theologian. I know. I post something online. I don't really anymore, but simply about, man, God loves everyone. And then every theologian comes out of the war work to tell me, yeah, but it's like, I'm just trying to make a statement here, guys. We can have theological debates, I guess, over coffee, but why are you calling me on Facebook? Is God love or not? Right? And so it's just this crazy game, but no matter what, Paul is keeping this this positive you know, idea that, hey, at least Christ is being preach, preached. At least it's making the brothers and sisters in Christ more bold and fearless through this situation, right? It's teaching me that instead of them shutting me up, I have this pulpit now. And why? We trace it all the way back to him being content in all things, knowing who he is. The internal for him is more important than the external So I'm encouraging us today, how do we live from the internal instead of the external? How do we truly live content, full of joy? That's what the kingdom of God is, right? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Well, remember, this is a learned lifestyle. Paul said, I had to learn this way of life. I had to learn how to be content. So guess what? You won't arrive the day that you begin following Jesus. This is a journey. So go along for the ride. Go along with Jesus, working with him, walking with him, seeing how he does life, and eventually you will learn the way of contentment. That's a lifetime journey with Jesus. Amen? So we can start by following Paul's example. Number one, get over the distractions of what happened or what is happening. Number two, discover new opportunities instead of seeing problems. And number three, focus on what really matters. And let me say this, you really matter. Discovering who you are and whose you are really matter. It's all about the internal. Sometimes we need to shut down all the stuff that's coming at us from the external and say, nope, I'm going to become more aware of the internal. Jesus, what are you saying about me? Holy Spirit, what are you showing me in this moment, in this space, in this time right now? Even though the external circumstances are people have betrayed me, they've treated me wrong, things aren't right, where, are, where am I with the internal? So let's continue to grow. Let's continue to discover. Let's continue to mature in this area of being content, discovering who we truly are are. Receive that this morning. Will you bow your head with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. We thank you that we have this freedom to congregate on a Sunday morning, to look into the scriptures, to break down, you know, the the original language, to be inspired by you, Holy Spirit to interpret what scriptures are. Jesus called it the authority to bind and to loose. Letting certain things go and keeping other things. We're, we're continually progressing in this thing called life in Christ. Jesus, if there's anyone here today that's maybe struggling 
with that uh, sense of I amness, who they truly are in Christ. Maybe they just see themselves as just the garden hose that God will choose to use here and there. Maybe they see that they're just maybe a filthy worm and God could never utilize them. He's, he hasn't gifted them, that they would see past that. That's a lie. We're all called, we're all given a sense of purpose. And the gifts and callings are without repentance. Say this with me, Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your awesome love that covers a multitude of sin. Holy Spirit, I'm open for you to shine your light on me. If there's any area in my life that I'm believing lies about myself or others, or you, expose those things. Show those things to me. And Jesus, you're the healer. I give you permission. I'm open to receive by faith your healing in these areas of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.